It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the standby for places green room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Hello, I'm Dana. I'm going through puberty apparently, uh, and this is In the Green Room. Today I have Nigel Robinson and Aaron Parker Foey, right? Yes. Okay. Oh, I got it right. Um, <laughs> joining me, uh, they are two fantastic people who were participating in Power in Poetry, uh, which was our most recent segment on Standby for Places. How are you guys today? Doing all right? Yeah, good. How about you? Good. Thank you hey, so much good. for asking. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Alrighty. <laughs> She's just going to... Say hi, be in it. Oh, hi, sweetheart. <laughs> this is my old lady. She loves to be hey, a old lady. Person. <laughs> um, so she might be popping in and out. My apologies ahead of time. It's all good. How would each of you describe yourselves as artists? Erin, you first. Oh, okay. Um, gosh, I guess I'd say I'm a lover, a lover of classical theater. I like uh, heightened text. And they like stupid comedy, really fast-paced, uh, vaudevillian kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's my vibe. Like slapstick, kind of farcical, but heightened language. Like, sure, uh, sure. Well, I, two different things, two different things. I like melodramatic tragedy. I like somebody uh, making choices that come back to haunt them at the end of the play and watching their world turn to ash. I love that. And separately, I love screwball uh, <laughs> comedy like that. So you basically run the gamut. And what about what about you, Nigel? How would you describe yourself as an artist? I, um, to put it kind of simply, I live by the doctrine of Steve. And I, I, that means Stephen Sondheim and Stevie Wonder. So I, I'm a musical theater freak. I, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I've been irrationally in love with musical theater for probably 10 or 11 years now. And I've been irrationally in love with Stevie Wonder. And I love, I love Stevie. I think that, that whatever power that one may believe in, that power speaks through Stevie Wonder. And he is a conduit of, of, of celestial beauty and, and spirituality. And then um, Stephen Sondheim is just, the, he approximates emotion so well via like text and stuff and 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 I just I live by those two so like everything I do is pretty much influenced by one of those Steves. Okay so since since quarantine has happened uh it's been a it's been a transition for a lot of artists to kind of gather their bearings and find outlets to express themselves and find work to book and get paid for um how was your transition into virtual and audio performance? Is this something that's been new or is this something that's always kind of been in the works and in your repertoire? I've always been a musician. Uh, before I found theater, I've been playing like piano and stuff since I was like seven. So I've always been into, into making music. And when I was in middle school, I found out that I can buy a microphone and I can like pirate a program. And we recorded music all the time. But then I got away from it when I went to college because my focus has been on performing in theater for for a while but the quarantine and the money that the government gave us <laughs> really I mean I just was able to buy whatever I wanted whatever I wanted to so I got a microphone I got all these programs I got all this stuff so then I just 
took all my instruments and just sat in a room for hours every day and immersed myself in like in recording and, and, and the, the audio side of things. And I think um, it's been a blessing, honestly, like I would have never had time to do any of this between like working, like trying to survive and then trying to gig and do stuff like I would have never had like the, the, the idle time. Well, not it's not idle time to me. I don't treat it that way, but I would have never had the time to just sit down and create EPs and create singles and do stuff like that. So it's just been a, it's been interesting, but it's, I think it's been a, a, a blessing in disguise. In your performance of A Negro Love Song by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, there's definitely a musicality that you leaned into. And it was such a pleasant, like kind of, surprise when I was first listening to it while we were going mm. through the edits and uh it was very welcomed so was there an inspiration or, or motivation other than just the syncopation of the poem or how did it translate and bridging those two gaps one day like a year ago I found I was just like listening to Maya Angelou like talk because <laughs> the woman was brilliant and she had started her set off with doing other people's work before she started doing her own. And she was like, I want to do this excerpt from Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And like, I heard her do that. And it was so rhythmic and so, I mean, for lack of a better word, so black. And I think black encompasses a lot of things. And it encompasses rhythm, uh, being rhythmic and stuff like that. And when I heard her do that, I was like mesmerized. And then Frida called me and was like, hey, can you do this poem? And I was like, sure. And I looked at the first line. I was like, oh, my Angela did it. So I went back to that. But then I was like, this is, it has a refrain. It's a song. I mean, it's like a, it's like a rap almost. So I was like, why not put a little beat behind it? And like, and I, I feel like that's, that's what's underneath it anyway. And maybe in 1890, no one was thinking to snap their hands and like, and, and rap or whatever. But like, that's, that's what gave me the motivation to do that because it is literally hip-hop it just yeah. predates it by 100 you know by 80 years I mean you're so correct on that there is a rhythm in it when you're reading it and although it's manifesting differently today mm. versus how it may have translated back then uh, it just shows the relevance of yeah. the pieces and also um please like correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of indicative of uh, music's influence and of black history's influence yeah. on the development of music and where we get rhythm and blues and hip hop and, and things that we kind of gravitate towards today. So that's, right. that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you, you leaned into that. And oh, I, yeah. I have no idea that Maya Angelou had done it before. That's insane. Yeah, it's like, I can't remember where she was, but it was like a 40 minute video on YouTube of her like at at a college or, or at like the Hippodrome, maybe she was in Baltimore and she just had like 40 minutes of doing that. And it's brilliant. It's worlds better than anything I could ever imagine to do. That woman is fantastic. But yeah, that's that's where I got like, the motivation for it from. You definitely did it justice. Oh, okay. um, of course. And for those who are listening to this, if you didn't hear these amazing actors kind of do their spin on this poetry please go listen to that episode because it's quite good um Aaron the same question goes for you how how did you transition into virtual and audio performance you know I think just the auditioning of it was really kind of a, a stark change usually I would uh all my auditions would be in person and um, mostly for theater. And I kind of relegated 
self-taping to something I would get to eventually. And I didn't even have a ring light before the pandemic. And um, then my first like theater audition that I had to do from home, I was running around saying, which window has light? Which window has light? And uh, trying to, it's funny. I, I practiced my monologues alone in my room. And then when I actually auditioned for this, uh, the first thing I auditioned for, I was alone in my room. So it was the exact uh, circumstance that I uh, used to prepare. And the people I was auditioning for, they uh, turned off their screen. So I was looking at a black phone while, uh, while performing. So it was really, it was different and it was strange, but it was very comfortable yeah. in a way. The, the poem that you had so beautifully delivered to us was Renewal of Strength. How did you connect to that poem and uh, really find the inspiration on your rhythm and your spin on performing it? Well, I think I really resonated to the spiritual uh, aspect of the poem, the idea of the material plane beginning to fade and then the uh, spiritual plane beginning to sharpen in the uh, perception of the, you know, the, the narrator. Um, I think that's something hopefully we can all look forward to at the end of life. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess that's what really, uh, what struck me that it, it's fully in line with my uh, faith system and everything like that. So I shared it with my father and he said, wow, Aaron, that's beautiful. I said, yeah, isn't it? That's really. <laughs> so um, yeah, I guess the spiritual elements is what uh, did it for me. That makes, that makes a lot of um, sense and it's very beautiful. Have there been an increase or decrease since quarantine in performance opportunities? Uh, the reason why I ask this is because the last uh, interview that I had conducted with the online theater company, What's Your Wi-Fi, uh, one of the co-creators had brought up a point, Jay had brought up a point about um, virtual art allowing the space for a lot of underground theater and uh, theatrical voices to kind of uh, have a platform in a way that they didn't necessarily have the privilege to because of lack of funds, uh, because of lack of support. And that includes different uh, people of color's narratives. So have you guys seen an increase or decrease a fluctuation on uh, your stories being told and opportunities for you as performers uh as far as me as a performer is concerned i it's been it's been good um and yes there are there is plight and there is there are the disadvantages you know when you are a person of color but um i try not to let that define you know who i am and let that define my career i, I refuse i'm i'm very irrational <laughs> And I mean that in a good way. I mean, like, I, I don't I, I don't take no for an answer when it comes to something that I want. And I know I can I know I can achieve it, you know, as far as my career is concerned. Just who I am as an artist, I play a lot of instruments. I do. I, I try and wear a lot of hats and I try and live by the, the multi, you know, the new multi hyphenate person. So I if I put myself everywhere, I'm going to fit into something. I want to do something like this. Quarantine has just given me a chance to sit with my thoughts and articulate and write and put things out and like I'm working on a musical now that would have never ever happened like we're working with New York Stage of Film that would have never happened if the world was still open and 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 
and people weren't so aware of the lack of storytelling by co- people of color. Um, so I, I think that there are a lot of, a lot of good is coming out of this because people are, are aware that our stories have not been told by ourselves and that, that, that we need room for them. And now we have the internet and we have all this stuff, we have all these avenues that we can tell our stories and, and people are receptive to it because they don't have a choice. Like it's not like you're going to a theater to watch a show tomorrow night. So I would say that for me personally, it's been way better than I would have ever expected. And then for us as a whole, I think it's only up and up because people are like, oh shoot, we should let these people tell their stories because they're fantastic and they're authentic when they tell it because it's their experience. So we're living in a good time to be a person of color because you know things are on up and up, they are. so and. That doesn't mean that we're, we want to be better than anyone. We just want to be equal and want everyone to have it be an equal playing field. That doesn't mean that everyone gets something produced. That just means that it's equal. It's not mostly white stories. It's a few black stories told by white people. I think it's going okay. There we go. How about for you, Aaron? That's really a hopeful message that I got from Nigel, though it is not my experience. <laughs> I think, you know, guilt is a strong motivator. And so the interest is... a perhaps increasing and I've, I've had a lot of theater artist friends reaching out and uh, because I may be one of their few you know performer friends of color so you know that is that is hopeful however I don't think that my performance opportunities have increased I feel like um, I'm someone who really thrives on live theater which is you know not something that's really happening right now unless I want to go to Sarasota Florida and, I'm going uh, there. I don't <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm well, liter- I'm, li- I'm literally going. Viewers, sorry about it. What I'm are you doing, Cinderella? No, I'm going down there to do a cabaret oh, that was for the studio theater. Hey, good luck. <laughs> Best of luck. Best of luck. Please stay safe. Um, I won't be leaving about- the house. Yeah, good. <laughs> Uh, talking about safety, vaccines are starting to somewhat roll out. This is. Uh, a common theme of hope of uh, reopening the theatrical world. And that's starting to be more of a conversation uh, right now. That being said, have you learned anything that you would like to carry on as things kind of progress to opening up? Uh, I will never take anything for for granted (laughs) again. I will not take going to rehearsal for granted I, I don't want to take it and, and I, I really think it's going to last forever because we know what it feels like to be without and, and to not have you know not be able to feed off of the energy of of, of a, a live performance so I will say the main thing I'm taking from this is I don't care if it's 4 30 and I'm tired and my voice is gone and I want to go to sleep I'm going to sit there and be focused and in it until we are done at five so I'll say that I don't want to take anything for granted anymore. That's a pretty humbling message, especially because there there are so many things about live theater that uh, I miss, you know, even Mm -hmm. just the rehearsal process and being able to feed off of other people's energy that like kinesthetic response, that uh, relationship with the audience and and building something, that bonding experience. Um, But staying in your own lane and working towards something and keeping that end goal in mind is also really, really important. So that resonates pretty loudly, at least with me. And I think uh, with a lot of other people as we move forward. Any 
struggles that you guys have experienced? Because I am currently in my living room working this interview like the best that I can with an old lady dog who is pitter-pattering around and trying to bark and get in on the conversation. Have you experienced any uphill I think, um, like many actors, I, uh, I also work in a restaurant. And because of the, uh, you know, because of fear and uh, people with uh, other conditions uh, that might be afraid to come back to work, I actually had to uh, work more than I was before the pandemic. And so getting just kind of run down and exhausted and then trying to find the energy to work on and pursue the thing I'm actually here for, you know, the reason I'm, I'm in New York, uh, that's been kind of a struggle, you know, just finding those reserves and saying, now, wait a second, my actual job is being an actor. And I don't care how many shifts you worked. You got to find that right now or else, you know, there's no end in sight to just grinding it out at a restaurant. So, uh, you know, that has been a challenge. But a few years ago, I uh, narrated and produced an audiobook. And so I learned a few skills uh, back then, but it, that's been a while. And so like trying to dive back into that as a, uh, an acting adjacent uh, way to generate income has been, um, has been fruitful for me and, uh, and enjoyable. COVID depression is very real. I've come to find out it is a very real thing. You really miss how life was prior to not just in career, but like how life was in general, like going to see my friends or going to a bar, or like doing little things like that. So that's been, it's been, you know, hard at times. And then at times it's not as bad, but you know, I've been home with my family a lot, which is great. And then also like, I've been home like a 15 year old with my family for almost a year, and, you know, going back and forth in New York, but you know, that it, that's been a, it's been a mental health battle you know I won't say a losing battle but it has been a battle nonetheless you know and um I don't know I, I try to find silver linings and things and I live by this irrational amount of faith I keep saying that word y'all gonna think I'm crazy but like it's just like a crazy amount of like it's going to be okay and I, I I speak that way because if I don't say it then I'm not manifesting it like there's no chance of, of having hope if you don't at least proclaim to to be hopeful but yeah, it's not been easy. I won't lie. You're like, oh, it's been all peaches and cream for a year. It has not. No, I've had to get in the car and like go cry for like 30 minutes for no reason. I'm like, why am I crying right now? But you know, it's you know, money, all those things. It's it's yeah, yeah. Just just your body says, get out of the way, go go somewhere and, and hide and cry right now, or else I'm gonna do it in front of everybody, and you don't want that. So yeah, it's 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 been back and forth but you know there's silver linings but it's still hard it's interesting that you bring that up simply because finding joy in the moments of struggle or strife is so so important uh particularly when it comes to depression when it comes to mental health and also when it comes to certain social justice issues i find that um with both of your poems in in the poetry in power, our power and poetry segment, uh, both of them tap into something positive in, under circumstances that were pretty dire. And that is to find joy and love with uh, a Negro love song with 
Nigel, and then for renewal of strength, that's another thing that, that is pretty positive and finding uh, the will and the hope to kind of keep pushing through on something because there is always something to work forward and look forward to. So um, I'm so glad that we were able to kind of find these words and then to have you guys animate them in a way that was so sincere and authentic and rings true today, not just back when they were written. I, I would like to take a moment to say thank you, not only for your audio performances and your contributions to um, Standby for Places and Power and Poetry, but for having a conversation with me right now and kind of unpacking some of the stuff of what it is like to be a performing artist in quarantine and just in general, honestly. I look forward to any and everything that you guys have coming forward. Is there any announcements you would like to share for anyone out there who would like to follow you uh, and, and see what else you've got going on? My writing partner, Brian Quijada, and I are co-creators of um, a musical. Uh, well, it's a concept album right now called Mexodus. And it's about the Underground Railroad that went south to Mexico. And Brian is El Salvadorian. And he represents the south of the border. And I'm African-American and represent try and get to the south of the border and it's a live looped um hour and a half ish show we haven't put it on speed yet we're just making the music but like um it just tells the story of a slave named henry who escapes from texas and gets found by a man named carlos and he rehabilitates him and it's like you need to become mexican and assimilate so that you can live a free life so we're working on that we release a track a month through new york stage of film and it'll be done over summer and then we'll see what happens with this thing on its feet. But that's my only shameless plug. We're working on a musical. Oh, that is not good enough. I mean, you mentioned it before, and I was <laughs> like, we're going to touch back on that at some point. We've got to touch back on that. The Steves would be proud, both of them. Oh. Maybe a ghost third. Bushemi, I see you out there. Yes. You know? That's all I want to do is make the Steves happy. That's all I'm aiming for. <laughs> but I do want to send that thank you back to you. Thank you for yeah. having us and amplifying our voices. Thank you for reaching out. This was a pleasure to do. Yeah, thank of you. Course. Of course, anytime. It's always a pleasure to, to provide a platform for voices. We were very lucky to be able to cast like 16 or 17 people of color, African-Americans who were able to perform these pieces and each and every one of those humans were fantastic and really contributed something special just like you two did. And so we couldn't have asked for a better ensemble. For those of you out there who are watching this, please tune in to Standby for Places. We have new episodes released every Wednesday. And although Black History Month is coming to a close, that does not mean that the conversation about Black Lives Mattering or Black voices and stories mattering has to end. This is an ongoing conversation that we should always be engaging in because it is a part of our history as Americans. So thank you so much for taking the time to come and listen to us. And uh, we'll see you next time in the green room. Bye for now. Bye guys. Thank you for joining us in the green room. New plays come out every Wednesday and green room interviews every Friday that a show concludes. For more information, visit our website at standbyforplaces.org.